welcome to episode 69 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. This is an extra special week, and we're not sure why yet, but we're excited to find out. We are here with the Lieutenant Nate Larkin. You've been demoted, by the way. (laughs) And Admiral Mondo in the engineer chair. I'm Aaron Porter. From California, wishing everyone who is in a crappy state a fine day. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good, man. How are you? Oh, I want to tell you, it's a it's a picture perfect day here in yeah. uh, in Middle Tennessee. We could give Central California a run for its money yes, this morning, we could. couldn't we, brother? Yes, we could. Oh man, clear skies, low humidity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Low seventy. Yeah, but today. Central California is like Bakersfield and Fresno, so I'm pretty sure you could okay, give the them a Central run for their money coast. any day of the week. <laughs> but the Central Coast of California, I don't know. All right, home of the happiest people on so, earth. Yeah, that's right. So you just got back from a trip, Mr. Larkin? I did. Spent a very enjoyable three-day uh, weekend traveling to the Ozarks, to the Lake of the Ozarks. Really, so far away from an airport that it made no sense to fly. We actually drove nine hours each way to get to this place. Wow. I hadn't been there before. Beautiful, unexpected, beautiful place, right in the middle of the Ozark Mountains, uh, you know, buried somewhere in the interior of Missouri. Uh, Spoke for a Baptist collegiate audience and had a great time. Mixed group. A Baptist oh. collegiate. Was this a secular college or a Christian college? No, 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 no. This was, uh, it was at a conference center, and it was the student leaders, uh, the Baptist student leaders from most of the colleges in Missouri. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great invitation and a good time, and I had three hours so with the guys. what did you talk about? But I what I always your, talk what, about. Come on. What you always talk about. No, actually, uh, no, the cool thing was I didn't have to be the porn guy. You know, some places people are just so fixated on that that, you know, Nate Larkin is the, is the porn guy or the sex addiction guy, guy. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what I loved about this group is that they, they really saw uh, the deeper issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the theme of the weekend was authentic community. Ah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the way to get to that was through my story, which, not surprisingly, most of the room identified with to some degree. Uh, but we got to really bang the drum for brotherhood and challenge guys to, to uh, you know, when they got back to their uh, dorms, got back to their campuses, to do something, you know, to really have some noble brotherhood. Yes, to have Bible study, but to get below the level of generalized conversation and, you know, surface sharing, that kind of fake brotherhood that disappears the minute you leave the room. Uh, to get go beyond once-a-week brotherhood to 24-7 brotherhood and to, mm-hmm. you know, show their real selves. So it was a good time. And, uh, and then I got, to, I got to talk to the girls, too, and uh, enjoyed it. Traveled with Scott Rowley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a blast to travel with that guy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, he's a veteran of the road. Veteran of the road. Spent 20 years on, on the road doing Christian music back in the golden days of CCM. Oh, yeah. So he took the, he took the mic and uh, had a lot of fun with Rowley. We've got to have him on the podcast. You know what? We, yeah, we haven't done that, man. No. We're, like, we're almost 70 episodes in, and we haven't had Scott over here. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Okay, we will correct that oversight. Yeah, we need to do that. We'll get Rolly here. Absolutely. All right, Perry, you're out. Go get Rolly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we do that to guests often. All right, what about you, Mondo? Uh, well, uh, I'm actually working on a Garfield book right now. No! Yeah, man, got a, got a call from uh, the guys who are working with Jim Davis, mm-hmm. the creator of Garfield, yeah. and we are doing... Uh, a children's audio book. It's a, um, it's kind of the interactive, you know, reading yeah. and audio. It's got the little uh, box on the side with the flashcards in it. Yeah, and yeah. Press buttons and stuff like that. So, uh, so we're we're recording music this week and sound effects, and we've got you know, it's a, it's a Garfield and Odie. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the title of it, but it's like it's a haunted house, you know, right, 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 haunted right. house kind of thing, and it's pretty funny because we've got adults in here screaming like. Uh, 
like they're losing their life. Oh, you know, really? Making spooky sounds. We've got witches. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty... It's pretty cool, man. Now, do you have the the celebrity voice of Garfield? I mean, the guy who's on the TV show doing Garfield. No, no, we, no. This is this is uh, all just you know, uh, you know, freshly created yeah. sounds and sound effects, and th- th- so we have, oh. you know, we bring in different talent. We had a we had a, a eight year old in, in here yesterday. Yeah, uh, and he had a blast. Of course, he knew it was for Garfield, so it yeah. made his day, of yeah. course. And so you know, it's, it's pretty cool, man. But getting some, getting kids and, and adults, adults especially. Uh-huh. Uh You know, we should have had you, man, because we actually needed a pirate. Oh, come on! <laughs> we actually needed a pirate voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should we should have called you, yeah. man. Should have called you, but yeah, it's been pretty cool, dude. Yeah, we're doing that all week, so nice. Yeah, man. So it's pretty cool over here. Top that, Porter. That's. that's now, I was just going to say, that's an important question. When the pirate is invited but the monk is not, what do you do as a Samson man? I don't know. Because <laughs> there are those moments where the pirate is only invited. That's right. That's true. Seems like an interesting Samson doctrinal statement. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. What's going on with you over there in the Central Coast, since everything's so wonderful over there, apparently? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I I can really... Never remember what's happened the week before, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was good. Anything, anything in the spiritual disciplines department? Let's get serious here for a minute. Anything in the spiritual disciplines department, Aaron? All right, let me put on my serious voice. Okay. Well, Nate, <laughs> this last week. Yeah, I'm actually. It's really great now that uh, the year starts in September. For us, late September, because uh, is California being in a college, different that way. I think it, yeah. it's all turned around out there, bro. <laughs> so you celebrate New Year's when Labor Day? The first day of fall. Uh, yeah. Okay. About last, then. Last Friday. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, you're in a college. Uh, you're in a college town, and so your kind of, your church calendar gets kind of hooked up with the academic calendar. Is what you're saying, right? Exactly. Okay. So yeah. the the town flows with school schedule so right. summer is just a vortex of nothing right and then the year is from september to june late september to june but it's really nice because when you get to september the schedule is reset and uh, i don't know, i am a schedule guy mm-hmm. a lot of people think i i am not but i am probably the most scheduled person on staff at the church and That's a so I have thought. wow. Anyway, <laughs> I I have rejoined uh, and reformed my three guys discipleship groups that I mm-hmm. meet with different times in the week, and that is always great because that is a painting myself in the corner because I'm asking things of them that I actually have to do. So that is one of the benefits of actually being a pastor. Right. Is I'm pretty sure. I wouldn't do half of what I do. No, okay, 99% of what I do. <laughs> if people weren't showing up and I wasn't saying, so how did it go? Did yeah, you yeah, do it? Yeah. And one of those things uh, came up in our staff group because at our evening services every week we have an experiment that goes with the sermon, and it's essentially different spiritual formation practices each right. week right. that is given to every all the college students at the night service. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, we actually start the service with banter from the pastoral staff talking about how their week went and how that practice went, whether or not it was a fit or worked or was difficult. Did mm-hmm. they succeed? Did they fail? Uh, which is really, I mean, you want to talk about painting yourself in the corner when you're going to start each service having an informal discussion. Yeah. Uh, and and f- you know Phil, and Phil was great this week because he only did it one day, uh-huh. and that was his whole, how did it go? He's like, oh, it went really well the one day I did it. Yeah, yeah. And and that was really important for the students to see. I mean, sure. It's, again, it's the, it's the transparency that, okay, some weeks you're just going to do it one day a week, and mm-hmm. what are you going to do after that? Yeah, yeah. So last week's discipline had to do with uh, the morning before you get out of bed and the night, but I've been focusing on the morning a lot. So before I get out of bed, sometimes with my eyes still closed, I just start uh, reciting the 23rd Psalm until I believe it, Mm. which is really about who God is to me Mm -hmm. as my shepherd. Mm -hmm. And then once I believe the 23rd Psalm, I do the Lord's Prayer, 
until I believe it, because that's about what I'm hoping to be in God's kingdom. Mm. And then once that happens, I get out of bed. And some mornings it's just there, and it's like one time each. And I'm like, yep, all right, let's let's go into the kingdom. Other mornings, like this morning, lovely Rita, Mita Maid, was just in my head, looping. <laughs> you think it's funny, but I hate that girl. She is not my friend. Yeah. And uh, so it's. I probably had to recite chunks of each. I've probably done it 20 times each this morning mm-hmm. before I got out of bed because mm-hmm. it was just a battle to get through the whole thing. And yeah. you texted me right in the middle of one, so it was lovely, Rita, and then it was you, and <laughs> and then I forgot that I was doing that, so I went back to singing lovely, Rita, me to me. It was yeah. very... It's it's amazing to watch the battle for your mind before you get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's but very true. I will tell you, once you get through that and you believe those two things, yeah, just absolutely screws up my enjoyable sin time in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm stoked, and that's not that hard of a discipline. Some of the disciplines just seem way too monastic. Yeah, and I'm not much of a monkey. <laughs> you know what? I I'm gonna take it. Yeah, I know you haven't issued me a challenge to try that discipline, but I'm gonna just kind of volunteer for that that one anyway. I think I'm gonna do the same. Okay, and yeah. I want you to ask me about it next week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm down too. All right. I'm definitely down. Yeah. All right, and, and I would be curious first, to uh, first challenge is to remember it in the morning. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm signing on. All right, but don't get out of bed, because if you even get out of bed to go brush your teeth, whatever, it feels like the magic is broken. Right. Okay. No feet hitting the floor. And if you got to pee or something, yeah. it's just going to make you like really passionate about your <laughs> internal meditations on these scriptures. I love this. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. It is now time for the mini mini meeting. <laughs> Take it away, That's Aaron. My... <laughs> All right. Welcome to our mini meeting of the Sam Society. We are a company of Christian men who are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation or determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. This is the sharing portion. Skipping down the page. Right, sharing portion. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experiences. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest strictest confidence. confidence. Except for the podcast. We try, except for the podcast. (laughs) Right. We try to... Keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them towards any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic for today is fantasy. Fantasy. Oh. Wow. Okay. Hmm. And the floor is open? Floor is open. Well, I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. I'll jump in on fantasy. Nate. All right. Uh, yeah, fantasy for me is uh, the the dark side of imagination. I'm glad that I have uh, that God's given me the gift of a creative imagination. Uh, that I don't have to think in great uh, straight lines. That I can imagine. Uh, the good and the beautiful and the right and uh, can see something uh, and uh, create it. Um, I mean, that's the the beautiful thing about imagination. Uh, The dark side for me is fantasy. uh, For me, fantasy uh, has a whole lot to do with uh, escape. Imagine... um, 
of course, I lost a big part of my adult life to sexual fantasy uh, and found that I couldn't even keep fantasy within the lines. Uh, that much uh, that that uh, you know I th- for example you know I began with pornography as most every boy does and then it moved to hardcore pornography and and I made a resolution early on that as a moral man and as a Christian man you know somebody who was going to you know honor my wedding vows uh, I would never color outside the lines I might fantasize about uh, having sex with someone other than my wife but I certainly would not do it. That turned out to be uh, a self-deception of the highest order. And it's as though I laid a track for where I would go. And uh, so porn took me places I never intended to go. That is the thing about imagination. Imagination can be kind of, I, for me at least, you know, the, 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 the advance guard of creativity or the advance guard of action. That what I imagine... I will eventually do. Sometimes fantasies like tendonitis, where you hear a ringing in your ear that isn't there. Yeah. <laughs> um, at any rate, yeah, sorry about that. My apologies to uh, all our listeners out there in podcast land. I forgot to turn my phone off. Um, I, uh, I escaped into fantasy before puberty. And um, you know, there's been some dividends from the, from that fact. But I, I, I escaped into books uh, and left a, a painful childhood, and and just read maniacally, obsessively, two three books a day, um, and really learned how to dissociate, how to escape from this life, and go into an alternate reality. And then, of course, when I hit puberty, uh, fantasy became sexual fantasy um, I, it's a discipline for me now to stay in my real life I, I can catch myself drifting into uh, into fantasy at, at any given moment uh, you know addressing the United Nations uh, you know accepting the Oscar or whatever it is I, mean, I don't do those grandiose things as much as I used to but I'm going to tell you I, there were a few years when I had a well rehearsed Oscar speech um, uh, in fact there were many years when I could actually get a sense of accomplishment from imagining that I had done something and I used that kind of medication uh, as a substitute for action um, and so, for me, there is a real value. It's it's uh, it's becoming easier as the years go by, as my long-standing habit of living more in fantasy than reality has changed. And these days, I live more in reality than in fantasy. Uh, but it, it's a it's a challenge for me to stay present, to be here. Uh, and I have found that simple tricks can help me. Things like just slapping my knee to remind myself that I'm actually embodied. I'm here. Uh, uh, gripping the steering wheel or stopping, listening, looking around, and just taking in some sensory input from my immediate surroundings. Um, uh, tuning in on a conversation. I have every ability to drift away from a conversation into imagination and be only half there. And I'll tell you what, life is too short and too precious to miss it. There's something absolutely vaporous and in the end tragic about uh, a life spent in fantasy. Uh, imagination is a wonderful thing. Uh, but but uh, to sacrifice the real life for a phantasm, to me, is uh, tragic. I lost decades of my life to it. I don't want to lose anymore. That's me, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. I think uh, fantasy immediately brings up thoughts about my wife and how how I've discovered that any idea of her that is not actually her 
is a dangerous fantasy, mm. which kind of includes where I want us to go and what she would be and then what we would be if we got there. And a lot of those things are really good and and holy and would be affirmed in any group of people. But it's not her and it's not us. And in watering those fantasies, and that's the the picture that I've had since uh, our pre-marriage counseling when I was 19 years old, the, the, the guy that was giving us pre-marriage counseling said, you know, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And I think sometimes, not sometimes, the, the most dangerous times and too often, I water an idea of who I want the people in my life to be. And it's not where they are right then. And so I get tragically disappointed in my own life in relation to them and start treating them in accordance with that disappointment because I've spent too much time watering the fantasy and that becomes the the verdant ground on the other side. Mm-hmm. And the more I water that fantasy, the browner and browner my own yard looks mm-hmm. because I've taken all of that energy and put it into the false version. And man, the times that I'm just present, a lot of what you're saying, Nate, just being present in the reality... Mm-hmm it ends up being a really beautiful thing that I love. I love where my wife is at and who she is right now and where my kids are at and who they are right now. It's not disappointing and frustrating in the same way that it is when I've spent all this time being disappointed because I'm focused on the fantasy. Mm. So when I think of fantasy, uh, I definitely think of how it affects those I'm in relation to. And some of the most dangerous fantasies aren't aren't for me the things that are uh, divorced from reality, but where I bring half reality and half fantasy in, and then it wrecks the reality I have to live in. Mm. Mm. That's all I've got. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Well, I'm Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. <clears throat> um, I find it ironic that fantasy means something totally different to me than it means to my children. Um, hmm. This this past weekend, uh, we were spending time and uh, you know playing and there's playing tea party, you mm-hmm. know, with the being the princess and the princesses and queens and all that kind of stuff. And the the world of fantasy that my children live in takes on a totally different meaning when I think about it. You know, they want me to play fantasy land with them. Now, of course, my mind. I don't know what it is, but it, it doesn't go where their mind goes. Uh, and I'm like, what what happened between my, the, the age they're at and where I am now to where when someone says fantasy, their mind goes there, but when you're older, your mind just goes someplace dark, someplace it shouldn't go. Um, and for me, boogie, you know, I'm sorry, it's, for me, fantasy is like the boogeyman behind the door. Like, I don't want to open that door. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean anything good for me. Yeah. Uh, now, there's nothing wrong with imagination and creativity. But for me, fantasy in my life has always been rooted in things that, one, won't ever happen, won't ever be achieved, aren't practical, aren't realistic. It's just this hopeful uh, uh, idea of intangibles Mm. that I piece together for my own pleasure Mm. at that moment. Um, So then, you know, my idea of that, then my child says, hey, let's play Fantasyland. Okay, okay, you know it's it's like yes, you're gonna do it, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and but it's weird. And I started thinking when you guys were talking, I'm like, man, it's weird. Like, what happens in our being where we just get shifted? Where mm-hmm. fantasy is like the best thing in the world when you're a child, mm-hmm. but as an adult, it becomes this dark place. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens? Um, uh, I don't have the answer for that, but I know for me, uh, it, it's it's a place where I really don't like to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, imagination, and creativity rooted in in practical, tangible goals, you know, resources, all that kind of stuff. Nothing, you know, nothing wrong with dreaming, based in reality, rooted in reality. Uh, but when it comes becomes fantasy, it's just like chasing the wind. Mm-hmm. You, you're never going to catch it. And um, 
but it's definitely a, a door that leads to nowhere good uh, for for me. And uh, but I, I thought, man, I was like, that's a pickle right there, man. You know, and you know, as much as I'm trying to stay in Fantasyland with my children, mm-hmm. and and they and it's I don't know what they just keep bringing the word up. It's fantasy, you know. It's fantasy. Like where where's the tea? What's you know? It's it's, it's pretend. It's like fantasy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, you think Disney World. I mean, it's all about you know Fantasyland and stuff like that. You know how many men are walking around thinking about different fantasies. You know what I mean, and it's a, it's a, it's a weird pickle, man. Uh, mm-hmm. For I think for a lot of guys outside of myself. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's all I've got. I'm Mondo. Thanks, man. thanks, Mondo. And, and we'll be right back with our special guest while we take a break to go fantasize about something else. <laughs> Help me get these thoughts out of my own head. I don't believe. Most days I don't believe. Mercy is true. It's hard to live with the things I do. So God brings the hills we dug in the ground that we might move closer to love and pull out the roots we've dug in so deep. Finish what you started. Help us to believe. Keep our We are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Time now to introduce our special guest. Uh, we've talked about him in the past, but now he's here in the flesh, in the studio, high atop the Mellow Mushroom in downtown Metropolitan, Franklin, Tennessee. It is a filmmaker, uh, David Perry of Bella Veritas Productions, uh, uh, who wrote and directed uh, the film to be released at the end of this year, 10 seconds. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for making the long trek down here <laughs> from Nashville. You moved up to the... You know, now, are, are you in East Nashville? Are you in the cool part of town? No, I'm actually in Sylvan Park, so West Nashville. Okay. Oh, Sylvan Park is also has its very own cool vibe. Very true. You're with a creative tribe there. Absolutely. All right. Now, you spent... Uh, well, first of all... Uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your journey of faith. Uh, you're a believer. Yes, sir. How did that happen? Well, I grew up, I grew up overseas on the mission fields. Mm-hmm. My uh, parents were church planners in the former Soviet Union in a Baltic country called Latvia. Wow. Uh, lived there for 12 years, so grew up in a very strong Christian family, but really had a very personal journey of faith um, mm-hmm. I, I, it was one of those situations where I got I, I accepted Christ into my heart at a very young age mm-hmm. um, around four years old mm-hmm. and uh, was raised in the Christian principles raised in uh, reading the Bible going to church going to worship services um, my parents were very good at trying to make each of us um, have a personal relationship with Christ but I, there is I think for everyone no matter what sort of church background they're coming from they have to walk out their faith mm-hmm. um, and there was a time in my life when I was about 10 11 and 12 where I experienced a, a real walking away from the Lord mm-hmm. and it really was because uh, I experienced incredible loneliness mm. I was in a growing up overseas I was an extreme introvert I was one of those uh, artists who could never really fit in mm-hmm. I was one of those people who could never really identify with any of my peers and experienced real rejection from uh, people that I was around. And in that, really rejected God and and, and the Christian community. Mm -hmm. And in that loneliness, uh, interesting enough, cried out to God and said, Lord, if you're real, come and meet me. And um, when I was 12 years old, I experienced suicidal 
moments and and God really did meet me and I remember there was a there was a moment it was about four in the morning I was in my room and I and I was uh, I was contemplating suicide and thinking you know do I want to continue leaving mm -hmm. living and 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 of course as many people who are in those moments thinking will anyone care you know yeah, will anyone yeah. notice that I'm gone and I remember the, the the voice of God came very clear and he goes I I notice I I'm here with you and mm. uh, even if everyone forsakes you I will remain and in that moment experienced an intimacy with Christ that uh, has left me forever changed and th from that moment on really uh, experienced a relationship with Christ in a way that is very real uh, is very personal and is something that I could never really walk away from because I know that I may screw up and I may you know make mistakes and people can yeah. forsake me but God will God will remain wow so that's a little bit of my journey. That's beautiful. Wow. Now, uh, are you formally trained in filmmaking? I'm, I don't have a... My formal degree is in music composition. Mm -hmm. uh, Growing up overseas, I went to a music conservatory, came here in Asheville, got a degree in music. Um, but all throughout... Throughout my life, I grew up in the theater. My mom was a professional dance choreographer and uh, did a lot of theatrical productions and started getting involved in theater mm -hmm. when I was uh, about 17. Started writing and directing plays uh, and then started getting involved in filmmaking just by doing. So, mm -hmm. uh, because can, we, can we pause on this for a second? Your mother was the missionary who was the dance choreographer. <laughs> yes. My, okay, uh, I've paused long enough. You can go on now. I'm just trying to picture it. Okay. Yes, it was a very artistic family. Uh, so, started getting involved in filmmaking just by doing because of my music background was composing music scores. Mm -hmm. But then just started getting involved in learning how to edit, learning how to shoot a camera, and really just started working on a number of different productions mm -hmm. here in town, building up to a point where I started producing uh, a number of different short films, and then started directing. You know, it just started by. Uh, literally saying, I want to do this project about this, and going and, and, and raising the money and pulling a team together and, and just learning by making mistakes and learning how to do things right. Now, just for context, how old a guy are you? 24. 24 freaking years old, and you're on... Okay, and, you, and now you're working on a feature-length uh, mm -hmm. film. you got two films in production. Uh, and... Uh, you've gone through the whole production cycle of, of this film that I first saw... Uh, I saw the script uh, over a year ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. She sent it to me. Yeah. And uh, I was taken by it. In fact, I uh, sent it to Aaron. We talked about it here on the show. Uh, it's a, it's a sh uh, the movie is called Ten Seconds. And its central character uh, is uh, a, a rather likable, uh, run-of-the-mill, middle-class... Uh, guy next door named Gilbert yes. who has been drawn into uh, a secret sex addiction that is setting him on a collision course mm -hmm. that uh, and over the course of the film his life will intersect with the lives of a couple of other major characters mm -hmm. tell us about those other characters and then I'd love to hear where this idea came from and how you, Mr. Missionary Kid, uh, wound up writing uh, such an insightful film about sex addiction and human trafficking. Well, the the film originated out of an idea that uh, in 2005 I started hearing about this worldwide ph phenomenon called human trafficking, and was very struck by it. I remember the moment I saw I saw a Lifetime film called Human Trafficking which was a, a really well-made film that kind of gives an overview of this global problem mm -hmm. and was struck by the fact that it's happening in the United States. Mm -hmm. I think that most people look at the rest of the world and they say, oh, yes, there, there's problems in, in, with modern-day slavery and this is still happening in parts of Africa and uh, East Asia, but certainly not in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing... Uh, the, the hearing the stories and seeing the, the, the lives that were crushed and, and really being affected by it and, and really starting from that moment on get, got involved in nonprofits that were doing things here in town that were doing things uh, on a national level but from the moment I heard about human trafficking I said 
who are these guys? You know, who are these people that are going into brothels? And if this issue is so bad, 30 million slaves in the world today, 100,000 people are trafficked in the United States every year. Over 300,000 Americans are at risk for becoming enslaved. Such a massive problem. There's obviously a, a huge demand for it. And who are these people? And at the time, human trafficking was really kind of off the radar. And, and, uh, Basically, now it's the, the hot topic of our time. I mean, sure. Everybody's getting involved in human trafficking. There's so many nonprofits, there's celebrities, there's events, everybody. It's the, the, it's the issue of our time. Mm-hmm. And yet, even at that point, no one was talking about this elusive character, which was the demand side of human trafficking. So 10 Seconds originated out of the idea of, I want to do a film. I want to tell a story of the demand of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And as I dived into the issue, my eyes were really open to an incredible world that I really did not think was what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of leading up to working on the script and talking to people, you know, we have such a uh, a mental image of the person that is the demand of human trafficking. I mean, even Who's a physical, the customer? Who's, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. And, and we, I went around and asked some people and did kind of a, a mental uh, portrait of who people thought this was, and it was the, the, the middle-aged white man that was balding and, and had a mustache and mm-hmm. had glasses and was socially awkward, and, and people, you know, the guy that kind of would walk into a room, people like, that guy is a creep. Yeah. And no one ever imagined the successful businessman you mm-hmm. know, who lives in the uh, in the nice home and has a gorgeous wife and mm-hmm. great kids and is active in their community and, and is the guy you kind of envy. I mean, the guy you look at and say, man, I want his life. I yeah. want to have what he has. Uh, but yet has this very dark secret. And as I kind of began to dive into this issue, I realized that the image that people have of the demand side of human trafficking is the calloused, um, consciousless, serial rapist who yeah. has no uh, is basically seared to the point of never coming back yeah. and instead found a world of, of people who were desperately looking for ways out mm-hmm. were were tormented by what they were doing mm-hmm. and could had no way of actually saying I, I really want help and mm-hmm. yet that was their situation yeah and uh, the the film opens with a very powerful scene that I think really, in my opinion, captures kind of the issue. And it's our protagonist, our hero, if you will, sitting in this car. Gilbert. Gilbert Horn. And he's sitting outside this brothel. And he's warring with himself of saying, I don't want to go into this place. Mm-hmm. And yet, I desperately want to go into this place and if nothing stops me I'm going to go into this place Mm -hmm. and it literally is a cry to say please let something stop me because I don't want to do this but I'm going to and nothing's going to stop me unless an external entity comes in and it's a very powerful moment because that sort of was the, the, the whole vision behind the film is that if we can step into that void and say yes there is a way out yeah then imagine not only the 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 many people that we can help mm-hmm. but go a step further and say that human trafficking yeah. who affects millions of lives we can actually start causing those people to get free because all of a sudden they're that their moment they they're not going to experience that pain yeah all right well before you before you move on from that because i <coughs> i have to bring this up because I want to hear your thoughts on it, David. Okay. When the show, the NBC show To Catch a Predator first came on, Mm -hmm. my wife and I watched it together. And we watched it with very different eyes because I knew people who were those guys. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that were chasing after a uh, you know, 15-year-old girl, and and I even want to say here, ah, sexual addiction. It it frustrates me that there is no delineation between prepubescent girls and a 15, 17-year-old. Yeah. You know, 17-year-old woman that would be a woman that could be married. Now, according to our laws. 
totally happy to say you're not allowed to go there, don't go there. Yeah. But to call that a pedophile is like, wow, really? Because pedophilia, that's like a prepubescent kid. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all these things that it's kind of like lumping the homeless together. You're like, wait, there's homeless because of mental disability. Yes. There's homeless because of addiction. There's you know we lump it all together with one word, mm-hmm. and the the solution is not the same for everybody. It's different. So we're watching to catch a predator, and I'm watching men who are driven by compulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, often driving four hours to arrive at a place that they're, you know, the the trap has sprung. And the audience, uh, watching it through my wife's eyes, the audience is delighted that the monster is caught. And never in the show, in, in any of the shows we watched, and we had to stop watching it, you know, we were fascinated, darkly fascinated at first. And then we're just kind of like, this is this is pretty dark. Yeah. Never did they talk about that man, mm-hmm. who he was, how he ended up there. Why did he just drive four hours on the possibility that he would have this encounter? What's going on in him? It was never that. It was just, he's the bad guy, yeah. and we caught him. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was the greatest illustration of the misunderstanding of the guy you're describing, that our culture, it, it, was, it was frankly the Roman arena where everybody was throwing out the, quote, pedophile to be eaten by the lions and delighting and clapping when he was devoured. So, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's so interesting because I talk to a lot of people, you know, and you talk to a lot of people that they don't understand that world. I mean, they don't understand that life. And, I mean, you hear things, and I'm sure you guys come in contact with it all the time, but you hear people saying, you know, we should castrate all these people. Or, mm-hmm. you know, one one offense, and even if it is a minor but not prepubescent, um, you know, prison for life, and these guys are monsters. And it really breaks my heart when I hear that word, you know, these guys are monsters. And it always there, there's a story that affected me more than anything. And... Uh, we worked with a guy here in town named Ken Graham, who runs a mm-hmm. center for relational healing. Ken's been a guest here, and he was a huge influence on the story for the film, and he was really remarkable. And, and, and he showed me this documentary that was done in California, which was extremely eye-opening. And there was a story in there that I think, to me, was very powerful. Uh, that we really used as inspiration and something that we, we we incorporate into the special features for the film. And it was this man, he was uh, nine... It, it, the, uh, his story starts off with saying that he was just arrested and he was basically going through this this period of people calling for his life imprisonment, for you know uh, soliciting minors, and, and, and basically this community outcry for his destruction as a monster and this evil man... And he starts telling his story, and he says, when I was nine years old, this van pulls up to, uh, I was on this pl- in this playground, and this van pulls up, and these two men come, and they grab me, and they throw me in the van, they take me to this house. And they uh, strap me to this bed, and these two men come up with leather masks, and they, they raped him for three days, and they filmed it as child pornography. And three days later, they come, and they dump him on, the the side of the road and he makes his way back and the the community starts rallying together and saying we're going to find these people who did this to you and we're going to punish them and we're going to destroy them and we're going to we're going to you know we're going to bring justice from that mo- but there was never a healing process for this young boy from that moment on he began his journey towards you know, this sexual addiction it began uh, with chronic masturbation and pornography and then began to, to, to go darker and darker and then all of a sudden 15, 16 years later he finds himself getting caught soliciting minors and going to prison and the community rallying to punish him and he said a line that was so powerful and he said where were those that were rallying to my defense and saying you know, we're going to kill those who did this to you to protect you. Where were those when now I was in a moment where I needed people to help me? 
You know, where were those people where I was I was trapped and, and needed help? And, and, and it was a very interesting uh, story because you realize that no one wakes up and says, I think I'm going to go to a brothel and I think I'm going to go do you know, X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. It's such a progression and we forget that there are people who have a story and I think you nail it. We, we lose people's humanity and we make them monsters and we just look at the action and we forget that there's a lot of people that are in these situations and they're hurting. And not to say that there isn't justice because there is justice. There has to be justice. But we forget that they are human beings and they need help. And for someone like myself who grew up in a very strong Christian environment, I know that there are so many people that struggle with sex addiction and I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. and would never dare to come out and say anything yeah. because what's going to happen to that person? What's going to happen to you? Excommunication, shame, how could you do this? There's no way that people can come out. And so there there has to be, a. we have to look at people differently. And like I said, there is justice for what people do, do and there, there are consequences. But if we don't look at people and say that these people can be restored and there needs to be healing, then we really have lost... Uh, we've lost real perspective on who they are. We're going to take a break in just a minute, but I want to say something before we do. Because I'm picturing two pieces of our audience listening right now. One portion is that percentage of people who have been the victim of the men and sometimes women that we're talking about. And this conversation can be pretty painful because it sounds like we're trying to find the loophole by which we let them off the hook for what they did to you. And that, that breaks my heart because that's, that can't be what we're doing. There has to be, there has to be grace and healing and restoration for the victim. Mm. And yet for another part of the audience who has needed a monster so that they can feel safe about the world they live in, and so the person who is broken must be isolated and thrown to the lions, we have to keep them over here as the monster, that's, that's a separate issue. And I guess my desire is that within the context of this conversation as we continue it, when we come back, that those of you that have that have witnessed this firsthand, that you've looked into the eyes of the monster and they took something from you, that possibly the same mercy and healing applies to both sides of the story in ways that would surprise us all. And we're just looking for the surprise because only the gospel can bring it. There is no psychology that can fix or repair but Jesus is the answer to both sides of the equation. And having this conversation is really important for that reason. So we will be right back on the Pirate Bunk Podcast. Father, heal me when I pray. Send the Savior on his way. Spirit, come and stay. Lord, I'll need you all this day. I am weak and weary, warm. I am bitter and forlorn. Such a dark and dreary lane. Come and take my weary hand. Well, we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. It really does strike me that uh, any time there is uh, sex outside of marriage for purposes other than those that God designed, uh, there, are, uh, there are victims and uh, and people are involved. I have to tell you that you know somebody who, for a lot of years, patronized brothels. I was Gilbert. I was the guy, the guy you would never suspect, uh, and the guy who kept the secret very well hidden and was tormented by it. Didn't want to do it. Couldn't stop doing it. 
uh, the, in those years, uh, I did not see uh, the girls, the women uh, uh, that I hired as people. I had objectified them. It was something I'd learned to do during pornography. Uh, so, uh, so it was it was bodies, it was uh, physical sensation, but I was not connected really with another person. Mm. Not somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, somebody's mom, somebody's girlfriend, mm. somebody with sadness and heartbreak, somebody who uh, was f- uh, was engaged in that work because, you know, uh, you know, I never even thought about the circumstances that might induce a, a woman to do it, and, and really didn't want to know names, you know. Uh, and and it was that dehumanizing and objectifying of her uh, that made it possible for me to engage. And I don't imagine uh, that she thought of me as a person either. Mm. Um, It's it's it, there are two sets of victims in this thing, mm. and uh, yes, there are also you know perpetrators, and there are, there are uh, you know there's blame to go around, but I think it's in vogue now to to uh, to just identify one person as the perpetrator and not even imagine that he's being victimized by mm. by by the process, uh, but to to see that Jesus loves both. Yeah, we know that Jesus loves prostitutes. Do you know that Jesus also loves John's? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, when I look at what our vision behind the film was, is we wanted to address the, the demand of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. If you look at that by itself, human trafficking, which is the fastest growing organized crime in the world, if we don't address the demand side, then that problem will just get stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those victims, we owe it to them to fight for them. Yeah, They are human beings. They are someone's daughter. They are someone's sister. And they are slaves. And they, ha- they, don't, have any, they don't have any freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to really imagine that because a, a lot of people who have experienced bondage have not experienced it physical bondage. Mm-hmm. Literally where I cannot go anywhere. Um, and they are tortured and that goes beyond physical, it's psychological, it's mental, it's verbal, it's emotional. And yet, if we are to address the demand side, and this is something that we're very passionate about, we cannot do it with fear. Mm-hmm. We cannot do it with rallying the mob together and pulling our pitchforks and torches and saying we're going to go hunt down the mm-hmm. predator and this is obviously controversial because we say it to a lot of people and their reaction is what do you mean you know yeah. have compassion yeah but that is the key imagine if we were to and, and something that I always throw out is you know as, as since a lot of people probably listen to this are in churches you know the, the, we would we uh, talk to a, a number of different pastors in Nashville, and we're just telling them about the film, and they would say, "Well, that's not a problem in our church. <laughs> there's there's there are not people like that in my church." And I said, "Well, statistically, <laughs> there's it's a big they're problem. leading your yeah. church." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think that's the thing that always strikes me is if we were to stand up in church and and say, "We're not here to castrate you. We're here to help you." Mm-hmm. And imagine what that would do. Imagine the, imagine the people that, imagine that the the domino effect. Mm-hmm. You take one person, and one John, mm-hmm. and you get them to to be restored and mm-hmm. walk out their um, their healing. Mm-hmm. That effect has all of a sudden that girl no longer has a customer. Yeah. And so our vision is, again, and you nailed it on the head, is, is if we can humanize both sides, yes. that's the beauty of it. And that's what Christ did. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, he humanized people. And that's our vision behind it. It's not to uh, give people a pass. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some people who, th- the reality is they, they, they've done a lot of evil things. And mm-hmm. there's, there are consequences for that. But if we can humanize it and, and, and envision a community where we say, come those who are broken mm. on both sides and there can be healing, 
that's a world that can that can really see uh, these issues resolved. Now, in your experience, sorry, in your research, how much in the sex trafficking, I mean, uh, two things interest me. One is that in most movies that have sex trafficking, there's usually Russians involved. <laughs> so yes. here you are, a child of missionaries in the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious how that plays in or if it did at all. But the second thing is how many of these uh, women that get involved, and I don't even know how many guys get involved because the movie of the week is always about the women, mm-hmm. um, but how many women that get involved, is it drug or addiction related where they are stuck in this life because of addiction and substance or how much is the pure indentured servitude slash you know a version of kidnapping you know there's all these these very uh, I don't know there's very overstated movie versions of this yeah. which <laughs> is it's difficult to actually see well, what are we actually talking about because as we talk I'm only picturing different movies mm-hmm. right now <laughs> Well, it's funny because movies do, uh, they, they give a glimpse of truth and a lot of Hollywood, you know, which which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think that because of the amount of movies that have been done, there's been a lot more awareness. So I don't want to say that those they've done an injustice, but they have done an injustice from they've made a very one-sided picture. And when you look at human trafficking, it's very diverse what is happening. Um, there's pretty much three main pockets where people are being drawn from, and one of them is Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, and uh, Latin America. And when we look at our American problem, uh, we're drawing from those differently. You know, if you look at the Eastern European uh, people who are trafficked, it's it's mostly sl- sex slavery, and, and that's pretty much the 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 side of human trafficking that most people. Address, I think, because it, it seems so heinous. Mm-hmm. But people forget that uh, a huge percentage of human trafficking is labor. You know, mm-hmm. it's people in sweatshops, it's people working in farms, it's people working in restaurants. Um, when you look at Latin America, a lot of that is the labor, human trafficking. Uh, Southeast Asia, you know, it, it's 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 a it's kind of kind of a combination of both. Obviously, we've seen a lot of things done about people going for sex. Um, tourism in Bangkok and other parts of Southeast Asia, but uh, there is no uh, typical story. You know, there are the large organized crime rings that traffic thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people individually, and it goes from kidnapping, uh, I mean, literally cars point up grabbing someone, to um, tricking someone someone thinking they have a job here in America and obviously we're looking at international human mm-hmm. trafficking right now thinking they have a job and then crossing the border and then all of a sudden them realizing wait this isn't what I thought it was to the you know the age old indentured servitude you know you I gave you this and now you owe me mm-hmm. this amount of money but then that debt never gets repaid because it's always accumulating um that sort of story all the way down to the 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 family you know that has one slave in their home mm-hmm. to the mail ordered bride you know someone bringing someone over uh, one individual bringing someone over to marry them and then keeping them in their basement uh, it, it, it there's so many different variations to this story i mean they, and then there's certain parts of the world where parents sell their children to slavery because they have to feed their other five children uh, so there, there's not a typical... See, you story. say stuff like that, and that sense of justice rises up, right? Mm-hmm. I become a person in the arena right now. Absolutely. Kill that person with the lions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting how certain pieces of the story you told ignite certain feelings of righteous indignation? Yeah. And then, I mean, the, I, the stories that I think do that for me most of all is when you hear, um, uh, especially the sex slavery on those who are very young. I mean, there was a story that I heard of a three-month-year-old that was used um, for you know, the gratification mm. of customers. And you hear that, and, and, and you wonder what sort of human being can do that. Um, so you're right. There's def- all of us feel that sense of justice. Beca- and, I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't, I, I, I don't want to live in a culture to where we hear things like that and we say, oh, okay, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we should. I think justice should rise in our hearts. Yeah. I just got to say, uh, there was one a summer. I guess it was three, four summers ago that I took uh, some college students to the county fair to make friends with carnies throughout the week mm-hmm. and then have a uh, a brunch for them. And I would have never, ever thought that in doing that, they would make friends with a group of carnies from Kyrgyzstan who were brought mm-hmm. over by carnivals to work mm-hmm. and then not given money, had their passports taken, and they were basically in slavery at the yeah. carnival. Half of them ran away and were running around illegal because it wasn't what was promised, and the other half were just confused. Mm. And I watched the college students make friends with exactly... I mean, when you talk about their different stories mm-hmm. of yeah. this human trafficking, this was human trafficking Absolutely. at a at a county fair yeah. in the middle of happy California where there were peop- men, not women, men from Kyrgyzstan who were stuck working and building a ride that the average person was, uh, you know, squealing in delight on. Mm-hmm. And here was a man from Kyrgyzstan, a, a group of men, wow. who were just stuck there. So that was pretty baffling to find that exactly what you're talking about is happening right here in our backyard. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, I'll take that a step further, and if you're... If you go beyond the the sex slavery part of things and, and focus on labor, you know we we live in a in a in the American culture where uh, where cheap is good, you know cheap products and we want to pay less, you know and and and, and certain companies uh, use that as great marketing campaigns. But when, do we ever ask, you know, how is this being made for so little? Mm-hmm. You know, how is this T-shirt so cheap? And do we ever really wonder? Are the people that are making these products that we thrive on as an economy, are they being made by workers who really have freedom? Um, the coffee we drink, the bananas we eat, mm-hmm. uh, it, it has to go beyond uh, just this is this is easy for me to pay for, so never ask what it's really made for. Because there is a huge uh, majority uh, of products made around the world that use slave labor, and we need to start asking those questions. Mm-hmm. We have passed the hour mark, Nate, but I feel like there are unanswered questions yet to to be resolved. Well, and imagine that we did not resolve uh, human trafficking in an hour. <laughs> uh, How is this a Christian culture? Wait. <laughs> uh, the film is ten seconds. Uh, it'll be released at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how uh, now? Obviously, we'll put a link to it on the Samson site. Uh, is there a website folks can go to now? Yeah, if you go to ten secondsmovie dot com, uh, ten being the number one and zero, ten secondsmovie dot com, you can read about the film. You can uh, read about who was involved in the film. You can look at some of the organizations that we've partnered with. That is really our vision with the film: is to partner with organizations like Samson Society because we're just a film company. We've made a. a what we believe is a great film, but we want to direct people to people to groups like this that can actually um, bring action. And so we're partnering with a number of different organizations around the world that are on the front lines, and we're saying, go to them, go get involved in them, get involved in what they're doing. Uh, and so you can look at that, and like Nate said, the film we released at the end of the year for DVD, online, um, we're looking forward to it. All right, it'll be uh, it'll be streamed online. If you mm-hmm. want to get it that way, you can buy it, you can run it, you can watch it on your laptop, on your television, on your phone. Yes, sir. Or you can buy a DVD and do it the old-fashioned way. Do it on Netflix. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> well, another stimulating hour, wouldn't you say, brothers? Thank you so much, David, for uh, making the trek down here to talk Thank with you. us. This again has been David Perry of Bella Veritas Productions. The film is 10 seconds and we will be back next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast Arr.